Well, on behalf of all the staff and uh, all those that call Village Bible Church their home, it is a real blessing to have you here on uh, this glorious Easter Sunday. I was praying, I, I saw the weather, and they had said that there was supposed to be rain on Easter morning. I said, you know, there's nothing more beautiful uh, than a sun-filled uh, morning, and uh, we have definitely gotten that uh, this Easter, and I'm thankful for that. If you're a guest with us this morning, again, we want to thank you for coming. It is our uh, real desire and, and, and our privilege uh, to be a blessing to you. And so uh, if you don't have a church that uh, you call, home, uh, we invite you to uh, get to know the family here at at Village Bible Church. Our desire is to uh, raise people up in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, by living a life as a family uh, dedicated to glorifying God in all the ministries and things that we do. One of the things that is of great importance to us is to get to know those around us. And uh, with that, I'd ask that you would take the black binder at the end of your pew. It's called the Friendship Registry. And we ask all of those that are in attendance, whether a first-time guest or a long-time member, uh, to fill that information out and get to know the people that are sitting in the pews around you. And so uh, if you would do that during the message, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Well, one of the key tenets of all that we say and all that we do here at Village Bible Church is the studying and the uplifting of God's Word. And I would ask that you would take God's Word in your hand this morning and turn to the book of 1 John. Uh, We've been in a series that we've entitled Living in the Light. And we've been looking uh, for the past couple months at at this series out of this letter from the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our text on page 863 in the pew Bibles that should be in the pew racks in front of you. Uh, This study that we've had, Living in the Light, has been teaching us as Christ followers how to live a life that is consistent with what Christ's example uh, here on earth was all about. That we would live lives uh, that would show not just through profession, but through the actions of our steps and the uh, things that we do throughout our day would show that we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. And so today, uh, on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate not only the death and burial of Jesus Christ, but more uh, importantly, the resurrection of Christ. Today, we commemorate the greatest day of human history, when Christ, who had endured beatings and abuse, who was hung on a cross, who was pierced and killed, that same Christ who was dead and buried, today we celebrate that he's no longer in the grave but he has risen just as he said. Today we rejoice and proclaim uh, not a uh, martyr, a a prophet who uh, was taken down before his time, but we believe and we trust and we proclaim one who has burst from the grave, not as a beaten down loser, but as a conquering king and Lord. It's today that we celebrate the death of sin and the death of death. The scripture tells us that the sting of death is gone. It has been taken away. And we praise Jesus for his glorious resurrection from the grave. Now, as I began to think about what I might share, I have to tell you that preparing for an Easter message is difficult. Many of you come, and this is the only time you will find yourself in church And uh, you're expecting to hear a a great message. Well, our people know that's not always the case. And we'll leave. I'm just kidding. I hope I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
And yet others come with presuppositions to what is going to be preached about uh, on that Resurrection Sunday. And working with the pastoral team and the preaching team of the different campuses that we have, uh, we decided to stay within our uh, First John series. And I'm blown away by where we find ourselves in this series Because where we find ourselves in the text, I believe, is what the Lord wants us to hear today. Because while we as preachers could uh, praise Jesus uh, through teaching of the narrative that we see in the Gospels, the surrounding uh, aspects of the stories around that great resurrection, I want to play the part of Paul Harvey, the radio commentator. And I want to look beyond the details of that amazing morning to understand the rest of the story. I know that there's a lot that we could talk about. We could talk about the uh, claims of those who uh, say that Jesus is not resurrected, and we could give proof uh, of Christ's resurrection. We could talk about uh, Mary's um, uh, first encounter with the risen Savior. We could talk about the disciples looking into the empty tomb. But today I want to focus on the real reason behind the season of Easter. I want to look at why Christ came. I want to understand the motive behind that amazing plan of this season of Easter. The question that comes to mind when I think of Easter is what would cause God to leave heaven and all the worship and praise that he received? Why would he come to earth to live life in human skin? To not be recognized for his greatness, even to be rejected and hated by men. Why would God desire such a plan? Why would he pursue such a thing? To live a life, to be wrongly accused, to be beaten, killed on a cross. What would possess an omnipotent God to lay in a tomb lifeless for days? To endure the sting of death for a world that hated him. What would cause him then to rise from the grave and not go out seeking to destroy those who put him to death? What is the reason behind all this? Why is it that we as Christians celebrate this day? What is it about the Easter season that should warm our hearts and energize our faith? The answer is found in our text today in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, I'd ask that you would stand, as is our tradition, for the reading of God's Word. I'll ask God's blessing after I read it, and then we will get into the message. This is what the Word of the Lord says. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus at just the right time to be born of a woman, that he could live a life of perfection, that in living that life of perfection, he could be the one who would die for our sins. We thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for the death and burial of Christ, that he took away the sting of sin and death, that he endured our death penalty. And Lord, we thank you for the triumph of the grave. That you came out 
Again, not as one licking your wounds, but one who is victorious, reigning on high, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Today we lift you high. We proclaim your name. We speak of your renown and we give you the glory and praise because were it not for that first Easter morning, we would still be lost in our sin. And so we rejoice with all the angels in heaven and all your people throughout this world from that first Easter to today. And we say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus. Lord, I pray that the words that I share will bring glory and honor to you and will work in the hearts of every person here. That if there's anyone today that has never come face to face with the risen Savior, who has never experienced the love of God, that today would be the day that they do. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We live in a world that is infatuated with the emotion of love. We spend our days searching to find it in the arms of another person. Most of our music, many of our books and movies surround themselves around this theme of love. We're exhilarated when we find this emotion. We're heartbroken when it's gone. You know, love seems to be the great equalizer for us as human beings. Whether we're old or young, rich or poor, employed or unemployed, whether we're married or not, all of us have a deep and profound desire to love and be loved. It seems that within the heart of every man, woman, and child is a desire to know that someone cares for them. And loves them. As we've been studying this book of 1 John, we are reminded that John writes this great letter to the church. John is the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that John saw firsthand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John, now an old man, many commentators believe that he was in his 80s or 90s, addresses the church and he says here is what i've spent my life proclaiming the goodness of god that has been shown to the world now as if we were to be interviewing john when we find ourselves in chapter three of this great letter it's as if we've sat the apostle john down and we ask him as an interviewer john looking back over your illustrious life What is it that impacts you the most? Now, John, we know that you were there for the miracles. We know that you heard all of Christ's teaching. We know that you stood by the cross and received Jesus' mother as your own. You were there for all of that. John, we know by your own hand and the hand of the other gospel writers that you were one of the first individuals to see the empty grave. We know that you saw the risen Christ. We even know that you stood with the other disciples and looked as Jesus ascended into heaven. You were there for everything, John. What is it that impacts you the most? What is it that gives you hope and contentment and joy amidst the life that you live now in the twilight of your days, amidst the persecution and the pain that you endured? 
What is it that sets everything else apart that you've seen in your following of Jesus? His answer is found in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, the love of God. The love of God. This is what motivates us. This is what sustained the Apostle John. It's what gave him a hope for tomorrow. This verse must be understood before we can ever understand the power of the cross. If we don't understand the love of God, we will never understand the empty tomb. We will never understand the call that God gives us to reach the lost and proclaim goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ to all. So what is it about this love that John speaks about? Well, there are four aspects I want to look at this morning. The first one is, revolving around this real reason for the season of Easter, is that the love of God causes us to stand in awe. It causes us to stand in awe. Notice what the text says. See how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. John stands in amazement as he pens these words. From a regular English understanding and reading of this text, we don't see the exclamation that is given, but literally in the Greek, which it was written in at first, this is how it would come across. See how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we are children of God. This old man, probably shaking as he writes these words, Probably his eyes have grown tired. He, with as a energy of a young child, proclaims the love of God. It embraces his heart and it leads him to break out in exclamation because of his amazement. Now what made this love so amazing? What caused this man late in his life to still be impacted by this love? There are three things that I see. First of all, we see the amazement in the description that is given. John is not speaking about a love for a favorite food, nor is he speaking about a love of a favorite sports team. He isn't even speaking about a love of a romantic nature. But what John is speaking about is a love that transcends any type of earthly love known to man. Now, many times when we speak about love... The question that we normally have is, as we pursue love, is who is the person that is going to meet my needs? Who's going to make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside? What is that food or that hobby or that sports team that is going to create in me an exhilaration that will lead me to live a more productive and more uh, joy-filled life? You see, the world pursues love a love that says, what do I get out of it? What does it do for me? But this is not the love that John is speaking about this morning. John is not talking about a love that takes care of him. But he speaks about a love that he says in the Greek, Greek is an agape love. This word agape is a love that is found only by God. It's God's type of love. And while we see a world that says love is self-seeking, agape love is self-sacrificing. It is God's love to his people where he says that your needs and your well-being are my number one priority. 
that I gain glory, honor, and praise as the sovereign king and ruler of this world because I take care of you, because I minister to you. And out of that, you are produced in your new well-being and sense of identity in Christ Jesus, a desire to worship and praise his name. One writer wrote these words about God's love. How matchless is God's wondrous love. It is higher than the skies above. It is deeper than the deepest sea, and it lasts throughout all eternity. No limitations has God's love, so full his storehouse up above. God's love can span a boundless chart, and yet I hold it in my heart. The description of God's love. It's greater than anything we've ever seen. But notice what John does. Not only do we see that God has described this love that he lavishes on us, but he demonstrates this love. Notice the next thing. There's a demonstration that takes place. We live in a world that loves to talk a good game about love. It's not very uncommon to go to a sporting event and not see someone proposing marriage through the scoreboard to the person that they love. I once saw a, uh, a highlight reel of times where proposals went bad. And then in front of thousands of people, the woman would say to the man, thanks, but no thanks, I was just here for a ball game. We do a lot to try to declare our love to those around us. But this is not something that God just talks about, but it's something that he demonstrates. Not only did God declare his love, John tells us, but John tells us in his gospel that he demonstrated it. In the famous, most famous passage of all of scripture, John utters these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God articulates, and those are the words of Jesus to a teacher named Nicodemus. Jesus says that God loved the world. And he could have stopped there. But he doesn't. It says that he gave. Now, God could have given some small uh, token of his love and affection, but he doesn't. It says that instead of giving just a little bit, you know, I, I would pay some money to get a a meal that I would want. I would pay even more money to go watch a sports team that I love and would want to go and see them play. And so I would be willing to give up some of myself to be able to see those things. But God says because of his love for the world that he gave, and he didn't give something token, it says that he gave his one and only son. The greatest gift that this world could ever have priceless, the treasure of heaven was given because God wanted to demonstrate that love. In Romans 5, 8, the apostle Paul says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't just given to the world, but Jesus was given as the God-man who was born to die. And so Jesus Christ endured the cross while we were still sinners, because God wanted to demonstrate that love to us. Now notice the next thing. 
We have a description. We're given a demonstration. Now notice the depth of this love. We live in a world where people speak about being in love. And yet they fall out of love every day. If you watch any of the Hollywood shows, you know there's not a day that goes by that the people that spent millions of dollars getting ready for that big wedding all of a sudden find themselves out of love with the person that they had committed to. And time in and time out, we see that with our mouth, we speak of a depth of love, but it does not come true or ring true. Because of this, our love that we find in this world, it grows cold, it grows dim, and it loses its luster. Unlike the love of this world, the love of God is found in the risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, and it runs deep. Romans chapter 8 says the following. Paul is speaking about uh, the love of God in Christ Jesus, and this is what he declares to us in Romans eight thirty-five through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors. Why are we more than conquerors, Paul? We're more than conquerors because of him who loved us, it says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you recognize today, my friends, that the same love that was found on the cross, the same love that rose or raised Jesus from the dead, that same love that he walked out of that tomb with is the love that he desires to bestow upon you. John uses the word that he desires to lavish on you. This is a depth of love that we cannot understand or even comprehend. It is an unfathomable love. And yet God says it is for our taking. This is the love that God has for us. Now notice the next thing that we see in this text. The amazing thing about this text is that this causes John great excitement. This love that God has given. Now notice the phrase in the English, how great. It literally means what kind or from what country. What John is thinking about is this love that he's pondering and thinking about, that he's experienced for his life. And he says, this love is amazing. Where does it come from? This is not the type of love that I see from the world, because this is a heavenly love. This is a love that is able to do far beyond anything that we would ever ask for or imagine. It's a love that comes from heaven. It's a love that comes from Jesus Christ himself. And John remains, uh, reminds us to be in awe of that love. And that asks a question this morning. Are you in awe of God's love? Are you standing and pondering the amazement of God's love? When was the last time you broke out in exclamation and you were amazed at the love that God has? Are you blown away by that? John wants us to be reminded of that. And he says, how great is the love that the Father 
has lavished on us. Notice with me the second thing that we see this morning. The second thing that we see in this great verse on love is the following. That the love of God commands us to follow the Savior's example. It causes us and commands us to follow the Savior's example. What did Jesus want to accomplish by showing this love to the world? I want you to turn for a moment, if you're in the book of 1 John, uh, to the book of Ephesians. If you're in 1 John, you're going to go to your left. You're going to go through books like First and Second Timothy, and, and you'll see the book of Hebrews as you're turning through there. And then, of course, Thessalonians, and then Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we'll see where this is brought up. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this is what... Paul declares to us, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. What are we supposed to do? If God has shown us his love, what are we to do? Notice what verse 2 says, that we are to live lives of love. In 1 John 3, 1, when he says how great is the love, there's this command that is given in the Greek Uh, language. And the command is, is for us to embrace this love and to look at it. And with Paul's uh, words in mind, we are to imitate this kind of love. Now, this love that Jesus declared to the world that we ought to imitate is this, again, this agape love. But what does this love look like? Paul addresses it in the most famous passage that is read at almost every wedding, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. In Paul's writings to the church at Corinth, he says this about this kind of love. That love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Paul says about this love, he closes with this thought, love never fails. And so what God is telling us is because I've loved you, you ought to love others in this kind of way. I command you to live this way. But notice the two groups that we are to show this kind of love to. First of all, it involves friends. Jesus shows us this. He loved his friends. We watch the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry that are recorded in the Gospels, and we see that God, or that Christ loved his disciples deeply. He prayed for them, he taught them, he provided for them, and he protected them. Notice what he says in, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 15, of this love that he had for his disciples. In John 15, verses 9 through 13, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. These are some of the last words that Jesus is going to share with his disciples before the death 
and burial before his ministry and his life would come to an end of that chapter. And Jesus declares to them, I love you. I love my friends. And I desire to lay down my life for them. But notice there's a second group. Because it's easy many times to love our friends. But what about our foes? Jesus declares and showed us that it is uh, good for us to love those that are closest to us. But he also showed those that were his enemies his love as well. As we have been studying the Passion Week of Christ, we are reminded that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, that guards came, Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Peter being the man of action that he is, filled with passion and maybe even a lot of anger at that time, seeing that his friend Jesus was going to be arrested, drew his sword and went to uh, protect Jesus. Being a fisherman, he probably wasn't very good with the sword. And the scripture tells us that he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. It shows that he doesn't have very good aim. And he cuts off the ear. Now Jesus could have looked at that Roman soldier and said, See? You come after me with swords and you're going to lose. You come after me and my guys will protect me. You come after me and you're going to get hurt. But that's not Jesus' response. Even to those who are going to arrest him. A man could lose an ear. It wasn't going to probably be a, a death blow. But Jesus, because of his love, takes that ear and puts it back to his head and he heals him. Why would Jesus do that? Because he's living out what it says in Matthew 5, that you have been told to love your neighbors as yourself, but Jesus says, love your enemies. And Jesus shows us that if we want to live like him, then it means that we must love those who persecute us. That we must serve them and pray for them and pour out God's love upon them. While hanging on the cross of Calvary, Jesus trying in every way possible to take a breath as he's gasping for air. People were mocking him. If you're the Christ, then then ask for angels to come. If you're the Christ, then come down from that cross. And Jesus could have said, you want to see something great? Watch this. He could have even with his uh, deity and his power put them to death while still hanging on the cross. But what does he say? Because he wants us to know his love. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. This love for friend and foe is the love that God wants us to imitate. Now here's the problem. We don't do that. We don't do that as a people. And so this love leads us to a third thing, and that it convicts us of our sin. God has declared this love. He's demonstrated this love. We have seen love personified in the walking and talking and living out of Jesus in his life of perfection. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. And here we are as the people of God. Here we are as the people of the world. We've seen Jesus. We've heard of his renown. And what is our response? John tells us. Jesus comes to this world. Light in a world of darkness. And what is our response? John says this in his opening chapter of his gospel. He says, He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I want us to understand this. Here we are with a great deep desire to be loved. To be held and embraced by the almighty God. And God comes, love personified, in a world of hatred, in a world of darkness and sin. And love comes. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God says, here am I. I am here and I'm pouring out my love and my blessing upon you. And our response, who cares? Our response, I don't need it. We turn our proverbial nose to it as if it's some stench that we have no desire to be a part of. Why do we respond this way? Because first of all, we're an unloving people. We're unloving. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is telling a young pastor about the nature of us as human beings. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, it says this, People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see, we are people of love, but sadly we are people who love the wrong things. Paul declares four things in this text that we are lovers of. First of all, we're lovers of self. It's all about me. It's all about you. It's all about what I get. What are you going to do for me? What have you done for me lately? I am number one. I am most important. And so what are you going to do for me? How are you going to take care of my needs? Because that's all that I worry about. That's all I'm concerned with. But notice he says that not only are we lovers of self, but we're lovers of money. How do those connect? Well, in our economy of things, if you want to have things, you need to have what? Money. And the more money you have allows you to have more things for who? You. And so if we have a love for ourselves and our pleasure and our desire and our satisfaction, then we don't need any other kind of love. It's all about us. And so find all the money you can to take care of the love that you need for your house and your cars so that you can go on the vacations that you want, so you can wear the clothes that you want. And so we say we need all the money we can and we'll do anything in our power to get the money to love ourselves. But notice he says that we're without love. How are we without love? How can we be lovers in one way but then without love? Because we're a lover of self, because we pursue money to take care of ourselves, and to feed ourselves, and to take care of all the desires we have, then the thing that we don't care about, the thing that I'm not worried about, is you. I have no desire to serve you. I have no desire to take care of you. It's about me. And if you get in my way, then I will do everything in my power to get you out of my way. If you have something that I want, I'm going to take it. Or I'll covet it at least. And so we're lovers of self. We try to find money to take care of ourselves. And because of that, we don't care about the world around us. And what does it say? That we are not lovers of God. That brings us to a second thing. And that is not only are we unloving, but we're ungrateful. Here's our response. We're 
loving to the love that God has shown. Here God has poured out his love in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that which we celebrate this Easter Sunday. And what do we do? Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says that in seeing God and the love that he shows and lavished on us with all the things in creation by declaring and demonstrating who he is, that our response was that we neither glorified God nor gave thanks for him. And so here the love of God is placed before us just as Jesus was before the people of his day. And they said, you know what? I don't need you. I don't want you. Who are you for me? What can you do for me? You're preaching about a life that follows God. I want to take care of myself. And because of that, people that were ungrateful and unthankful for what God had done, put them on a cross. They said, we don't need you. You're you're ruining what we want to accomplish. We want a kingdom for ourselves. And you talk about this kingdom that, that is spiritual. That makes no sense. And so here is God who gives his son as a sacrifice, whose resurrection completes the payment for sin. And we don't even think to glorify him. We don't care. This love that he has lavished on us, we don't want. This makes humanity unworthy. We're unworthy. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel like scum. God declares and demonstrates his love to me. And all he's asking for, in fact, all that he demands is a response. But because Timbadal is unloving and ungrateful for this love, I, just like every other person in this world, find themselves in a predicament Because I've chosen to love myself over the Savior, God calls this failure sin. And he says, we've all done it. Paul tells the church at Rome, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that because of our inability and and our uh, lack of desire to love God, that the wage of that sin of not loving God as we are called to is death. It's death. That's where the God going to his enemies is of such importance. Because here's this love. We lack the love that God demands of us. And as a result of that, some things take place in our lives. In the book of Romans again, Paul utters these words in Romans 5, 6 through 10. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. I want you to do a math problem. And the math problem is the following. Paul gives four words about who we are before we embrace the love of God. The first one is powerless. Put put an addition mark next to the word powerless and put the word ungodly. And take powerless plus ungodly and add another uh, plus sign. And add the word sinners that he declares. And then add another plus sign and you've got God's enemies, it says. 
What does powerless plus ungodly plus sinners plus God's enemy add up to? My friends, it doesn't add up to the love of God, but it adds up to the wrath of God. You say, Tim, I thought God was a loving God. He is. But in his character, which is perfectly in balance with all attributes, the same love that he extends to those who receive his love comes the same level of wrath for those who reject that love. So we've got a problem. Now we are not under the love of God, but the wrath of God. Paul tells the Ephesian church that we are children under God's wrath. But this is where it is of such great importance that we understand that while we were still powerless, while we were still ungodly, while we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we need to understand is even though we blew it, even though we went our own way, God says, I'm going to pour out my love and I'm going to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to be raised from the grave that you may have eternal life. Because the love of God, my final point, creates an opportunity for salvation. God demonstrates this love for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, we get more understanding of this. He says that like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But verse 4 says, but because of God's great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And so what that means is is that as a child uh, who has been following your own ways and pursuing your own things, that when you are told of the love of God, that all it means is that you bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And as you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and you say, God, I need your love. God, I know I can't live without you. God, I know I've tried to live my own way. And it says in the Bible that it will lead to destruction. But because of you and your great love for me that you've lavished upon me, John says that now we can be called God's children. No longer God's enemies. No longer sinners ungodly under the wrath and penalty of sin. But now we can be the children of God. It's a change in our position. It's a change in the position that we have. Going from enemies of God and sinners and ungodly to being raised in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus as heirs to the throne of God with Christ Jesus. What a difference. All because of the love that the Father has lavished on us. And so what does it mean? What does it mean? How do we receive this love? It means that we recognize our need for Christ. That we understand we're all sinners. It means remembering God's love for us. That even though we were sinners, Christ died for us because he loves us. It means repenting of our sins. Meaning turning from the pursuit of taking care of self and elevating and pursuing everything that God has commanded us to. It means receiving Christ as our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it means rejoicing with him in a life of obedience. And what that means is, is that we have a different set of priorities. 
We receive Christ, our position changes, and now our desire is to serve Him and please Him in every way. Our desire is to live in fellowship with Him, to love Him over all other things, to strive to follow His example of love in a world that lacks His heavenly agape love, and to follow the commands of Christ found in Scripture. That's what it means to receive the love of Christ. So let me close with these thoughts. This season of Easter is a season not to look for eggs and not to rejoice in an Easter bunny, nor is it just to be reminded of a cross and an empty tomb. But my friends, it is time for us to rejoice in the love of God. The love that endured the embarrassment of mocking and ridicule and disbelief. A love that held him on that cross to pay for our sins. A love that brought him forth from the grave so that we may have a new position that we would be called children of God. And so let me ask you this as we close. Not thinking about the ham that's in the oven or the people that are coming over or where you need to go. But let me ask you this question today. Have you accepted that love? Have you accepted it as yours and yours alone? Do you cling to that love for all of your need, for all of the sins, and taken it as your own and received it as your own so that you can be called his child because he has lavished his love upon you? My friends, what good is it for us to celebrate a resurrection if we don't know the love that was lavished upon us on that Easter Sunday? Let me close with a phrase that was in a commentary that I had on 1 John 3, 1. In this text... The writer says, we have a sentence that all mankind craves. The maker of all things loves you. And in no other book that our culture owns can we see a clearer picture of that unreachable love that can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's the love of Easter. That's the real reason and why we as believers celebrate Easter. Because that empty grave reminds us of the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Don't leave this place until you have accepted that love and bowed the knee to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for your love. The the love that, Lord, you lavished upon us. And Lord, I pray for those who are celebrating Easter today as one of your children. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of that love, that we would be reminded of that command that has been given to us to love others just as you have loved us. That, Lord, as we sit around the table with our family and friends today, that we would love them not just with small talk, but that we would proclaim the true reason for this season of Easter. That we would proclaim to him the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. That we would articulate with our own words what you have done in our lives. That we're no longer enemies of God, but we're your children. Father, I pray that we would be bold in that way. But Lord, all the more, I also pray for those that have never trusted you. Who have never accepted that love. And Lord, in the quietness of their heart right now, they can accept that love by saying a simple prayer that articulates, Lord, I want that love. Lord, I desire to turn and live for you. Based on your death, burial, and resurrection, I can be saved. And I can live in that love for all of eternity. 
Lord, I pray that hearts by the gifting of your Holy Spirit will be changed because of the message of your love. We need your love. Without it, Lord, we can do nothing. Father, I pray for every heart out there, if they've not received that love, that before the end of the day, before they leave this place, that as we have uh, some of our uh, elders standing at the front of our uh, sanctuary today, Lord, that people would come and hear more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a gospel of love. Lord, thank you for the love you've lavished on us, that we can be called the children of God. Amen.